Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, and thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, I'm Cindy Gern. Uh, my show is In My View, uh, the workforce show. And I bring on guests who can talk about the industry. And I have a guest with me. She has been in D.C., in the Washington area, since the mid-'80s. And uh, she'll talk about what she's doing and how she got there and blah, blah, blah. But uh, first of all, I want to introduce you to Dolly Oberai. Hello. She is the founder and the president of uh, and CEO of C2 Technologies. And I knew CTC, <laughs> C2 Technologies when I was a government uh, consultant, uh, but uh, I was very impressed then, and, and I'm even more impressed now. Thank you for having me, Cindy. It's uh, been a very interesting journey. I graduated from college and started working for my mom, who had started private schools for the refugee children from Pakistan. And they were all first-generation learners from very uh, economically disadvantaged families. So when I, as a young person, I started teaching them, I realized very quickly that this didactic form of learning and rote that they were used to was really not going to help them in life. And uh, they, I really couldn't um, bring to life the, the subjects that I was trying to even teach. So I had an epiphany about uh, connecting them to the rest of the world. And uh, I uh, shared this idea with my mother, and she said, how do you think you're going to do that? I said, computers are coming in, and there must be a way for us to connect to satellites or something and bring uh, uh, bring the learning to the learners and connect. Uh, so if I'm teaching them about Japan, they can talk to the kids in Japan and learn about their culture and so on and so forth and geography and all that Um and she, you know, she's a very progressive woman. She's still uh, with us. <laughs> okay. And uh, she she took it under advisement, but she didn't know how I was going to operationalize this idea. And um, I just uh, decided to buy a ticket around the world and took a backpack and 200 bucks and said I was going to explore where I could find computers. And $200 that, around the world? Yes. And no, so Nobody's going to do that today. <laughs> Well, you couldn't do it at that time either, except that in India we couldn't get more foreign exchange out of our country. It was uh, it was a very difficult economic situation in the country. So, um, so that that's when my journey started in quest for um, technology for education. And as I started traveling, when I came to the United States, I. Uh, met some of my college friends who asked me what I was here doing. And I said, look, I'm traveling around the world. I want to visit schools. I want to see how technology is being used so I can take it back to India. And it just so happened that a friend of mine had just moved to Boston as a, a newly appointed professor. And he said, funny you should say I have this. He showed me a postcard, an invitation from MIT to go to an uh, a technology showcase for education, would you mind coming with me? And I said, no. And when I went, I saw how they were using technology or proposing to use technology for learning 
I decided that was it. I needed to learn more about this, and I called my parents and said I wasn't coming back. Ever. And that started. Ever. <laughs> no, I did. I wanted to take technology back, but I was not coming back because I wanted to enroll in school and get a second master's and learn about technology and take it back to India. So the story began there. That's where the journey began. Well, education technology covers a lot of a lot of areas. Right. How do you see technology in education? So there are, as you said, there are many aspects to it. One is the learning side, and the other side is the infrastructure side. So on the learning side, it uh, whether it's K through twelve, or it's higher ed or it's adult learners in the corporate world, defense, government, it doesn't matter. We have to take the, the learning to the learner. It has to be on demand, on command, anywhere, anytime, any device now. And it wasn't so when I started this journey 30 years ago. It, you know, we had uh, PCs and Apple computers and people were learning uh, on those. But now, as you know, the power, you have an iPad in your hand. The power is in your hand now. And uh, so it's being used in so many ways. For example, um, edX, uh, their MOOCs are going all over the world now. I didn't... If, what is it? What is um, it? The, they have uh, developed these uh, modules that are, you know, s- uh, small modules that are all online. And they are delivering them. It's a Harvard-MIT program. And they have 70 million people enrolled in their programs. Now, as far as Mongolia, in the deserts of Africa and India and everywhere. So now uh, technology has enabled learning, uh, uh, has bridged the gap, and has enabled people to learn anywhere, anyplace. If this had happened today, I wouldn't have come to the U.S. for a master's degree. I could have taken it right from my bedroom in New Delhi. Yeah. So technology has totally transformed uh, education. It has transformed the uh, workforce, how the workforce trains. For example, in the Department of Defense, we're using a lot of virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, to train them on new weapon systems, on new procedures and so on and so forth. Like for the uh, Patriot missile battery, we did designed uh, mobile apps for them. So they, wherever they are in the world, they can see how what are the 122 steps they need to troubleshoot, to maintain or even use a Patriot missile. Now, that was not possible before. And also the military was flying mobile training teams all over the world. Now we have developed virtual mobile team training systems for them so everything can be done virtually. You can do the proctoring of tests virtually. You can train people virtually. You can look at troubleshoot virtually because, like, for example, in one case, we did the training on a weapon system where um, the, the troops were talking to people in the United States from... Uh, a location uh, in Africa and getting the advice on how to maintain and troubleshoot <coughs> shoot their vehicle. So it's really been a very transformative uh, tool for the way people are uh, training, learning, performing in the jobs, and then how the future is going to be. But I, I think that's just on the tip of the iceberg because training is much deeper and much broader. But isn't it true that you need more 
security today to, to have a, a, all the learning activities and learning structures that you're talking about? Yes, indeed. You know, whenever uh, you introduce new systems, you've always got to be concerned. Just like we protect our homes and our office, physical offices, we have to protect our computer systems as well. However, it should not inhibit us from using technology. It is one of the aspects of using technology, and therefore we just have to put systems in place to protect them. We have a, a, a program entitled Cyber but it's just mind-boggling how cyber terrorism and infrastructure has affected everything we do. Right. That's where uh, we need to really start educating at the grassroots level. The day the parents give the, a device to their children as soon as they are born these days, they have to start training them. They have to put some protective systems before the kids even realize. And then when they realize, we have to train them at a young age how to protect themselves from uh, cybercrime yes. and then protect the systems. Yeah, there's a lot of that, isn't there, protecting themselves because right. there are predators all over the place Correct. and they're after the younger person and the older person and the person Correct. less, you know, less injured. They, I heard people say, though, that it's, uh, it's the individual who has the greatest responsibility for maintaining a uh, cyber-free ter- free environment. It's, it's dependent on each one of us. Like our company has done uh, training for large workforces. Uh, like, for example, we trained all of the employees at the VA. You know, they got compromised several times. So it is uh, imp- imperative that we train everybody, uh, whether you are a, a working in a, on a home device or a work device, it doesn't matter. You're still vulnerable to attack, phishing, and all those kind of things. And people have become more and more clever these days about how they Every time penetrate you think of something, system. somebody thinks of something else, right? Right, and how they penetrate your systems. And uh, like, for example, uh, I have to be honest, uh, we we got hacked in our own company, but it was a very, very clever uh way in which uh, somebody penetrated our system and mimicked me. So, you know, it is one of those uh, things that we have to train, we have to be mindful of, and the threats are changing every single day. So then you have to stay on top of them. It seems like it's a mammoth task. I mean... Right. And it was very harmful to... Uh, I cannot... I know. I, I can understand details, that. So, but, okay. Well... Uh, You started the company in 1989, but before that, what were you doing? So I I started my career after my master's program in India, started teaching at my mom's school, and then I worked there for a couple of years, and then I came to the United States in my early 20s, and then I uh, got a second master's here in uh, innovation in education technology, and it was a joint uh, Harvard-MIT program because Harvard didn't have the technical uh, courses and programs, so I worked with the Media Lab at MIT. The Media Lab is very well known, isn't it? And I worked with some legends like uh, Seymour Papper, who is, of course, no longer with us. But uh, because I was at the ground floor of online education, uh, there was a lot of pioneering work that was being done at the time. And uh, it was really uh, then that I realized the importance of technology and learning, but 
nobody was prepared around me. So, for example, I went back to India to transfer technology, and they said, it's too early, we're not ready for it. I came back to the U.S., um, and they said the same thing over here. So it has been a 30-year-long journey, and uh, I, of course, with that fancy degree, I could not get a job in Boston, so I had you to create my own job. You from MIT? Harvard. I mean, Harvard, okay. Yeah. And with that fancy degree and a fancy college, nobody wanted to hire me because they didn't understand what I could do, and I couldn't explain what I could, <laughs> how, what value I could bring to them. So I moved to Washington because um, Defense Department has always used technology. They're very mission-focused, and they have a distributed uh, workforce. So I uh, started working with a defense contractor, and then I started uh, consulting with agencies on how to, uh, on the efficacy of using distance learning and that really launched my business distance learning i that was back in the 80s and That's i right. i remember how distance learning drew my attention i used to go to meetings to, to hear what they were doing with distance learning and it was very simple then but right. it was all new uh, talking about education and technology and innovation not, not not an industry focus, but the education focus. Where do you see the the greatest uh, advances, the greatest challenges, the greatest threats when it comes to education? Well, first of all, when we talk about online education, it has become an ho- a household word, and everybody is looking into online education. I think the brick and mortar uh, institutions, including K through twelve and higher ed are are at risk because more and more these digital natives, they do not have the patience to sit in classrooms and go through didactic uh, uh, learning styles anymore. They are uh, very savvy in multitasking and uh, they want it fast, they want it short, they want it easy to understand and learn and move to the next thing. So the way, so all the paradigm, the paradigms are shifting already in learning from uh, teacher-led to personalized learning, adaptive learning, and it is. Um, so it's not networked anymore. It's all individualized, individualized, right, on your own device, anytime, any place. So classrooms are going to become defunct, and it is happening already. The number of online students is growing every single day. Uh, so, doesn't education just supplement what they have in traditional learning uh, structures, and then supplementing it with online learning, or what? It is both. So, the, you ha- on the one hand, you have uh, blended learning solutions mm-hmm. where you have the brick and mortar traditional learning supplemented with, uh, combined with uh, online learning. Then there are only online learning programs. For example, our company has taken the master's degree program for the Air Force online, and that is a, a completely online program. There is no contact time. It's asynchronous. It's online. Similarly, University of Arizona, edX, all of these people, uh, New Hampshire, Southern New Hampshire, all of these universities are offering 100% online programs now. And they are also offering micro-master's programs. For $10,000, you can get a micro-master's degree from a reputable university today. So what is the incentive for anybody to go to school? Let's compare the two graduates. If they are a graduate of an online learning program versus a traditional learning program, who do you think outperforms? I'm so glad you asked that question because everybody is so uh, skeptical and they think the uh, the results are going to be different. But 
evaluation study after study has proven there is that online education it matches in class, if not better. The challenge with in-class uh, face-to-face is that once the instructor has delivered the lecture, it's done. The advantage of online learning is you can go back and review, even if it is a, a lecture that was videotaped, you can go review it. You can go, uh, you can collaborate with others. You can work with others. There's so many opportunities now to uh, uh, work online. You Also, there's a huge trend in combining informal, integrating informal learning with formal learning because the focus is on lifelong learning. It is not a learning event anymore. You, it is a lifelong learning uh, strategy that everybody is using because think about it. Today, uh, we are talking about robotic processes and then we are talking about robots and manufacturing. All of these jobs, AI is coming in, machine learning, all kinds of things, new job, data scientists, new jobs are emerging every single day. If we did not learn and adapt and change over the course of our lives, we would be out of work. That's true, but adapting and changing throughout our lives is a lot different than having a strong foundation to adapt and change. So, But what so, makes you think that the, the online doesn't give you a strong foundation? Well, let me throw out something. I may be wrong, and you can challenge me. Uh, lack of personal, interpersonal contact and lack of interpersonal maturity. So there are, So we are talking of two different things. One we are talking about is education. I'm talking strictly about education. If you want to learn, there are now in online, and this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about because I focus a lot on it, that online learning, yes, indeed, I can't sit face-to-face with you, but I can. I can Skype and chat with you just the same way I'm sitting with you right now. So I think those are the kind of myths that we want to bust. But then what are people doing in their personal lives? Now, there has to be some sort of interaction, human interaction in their personal lives. If they're all sitting on consoles, video game consoles. And, and they anyway. are, I think, aren't they? Right. So the, the thing is then, of course, we now have to have specialized courses on uh, interpersonal skills, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but it doesn't take away the fact that these are, these students have so much content on their fingertips, Mm-hmm. And they have so much ability to collaborate with others and work on problem-solving, decision-making, critical thinking skills together, simulations, gaming, all of that. You can't don't have the benefit in a class. You learn, listen to a didactic lecture, either you're sleeping, paying, not paying attention, or you're playing on your video games, you're done. This is on-demand, on-command. Well, I, I, I worry and I wonder about the, the current state of education uh, because it affects our, I mean, neuros, neuroscience, is, Correct. That's, that's a big topic now. Right. Uh, how, how, well, for instance, how do you see neuroscience figuring in? So the, so the whole focus is not on, uh, now the whole focus is on the science of learning where neuroscience comes mm-hmm. in. So it is much more scientific than it used to be. Throw some lecture together, stand there, teach. If it stuck, great. If it didn't, too bad, too sad, mm-hmm. you leave. Now, so much more is research-focused. How do learners learn? What are the different learning styles? How do you design the uh, instruction? And how do you uh, create 
in, engage, student engagement and interaction in your programs. There's so much focus on that as uh, rather than just putting a gen- generic lesson plan and going and doing a test, a knowledge check. On, and on learning. And right. So, so everybody is now really thinking very hard about how to improve uh, the critical skills, thinking skills, decision-making, problem-solving. Those are the three critical skills that a human being needs to have. Yeah, I was thinking about Carnegie Mellon, and they have a, a very well-known, very famous software development program. And as part of their program, they have group uh, problem-solving teams. And they people in those teams have to communicate with each other, have to come together with a solution. Uh, can you see doing that through your all the technology that you're talking about? Actually, we do that. We do that in spades. We have designed these wargaming exercises where all the players are working globally to solve a problem. Doctors, we have designed uh, programs for doctors where they are responding to chem-bio-rad terrorism, and they don't have all the solutions to every problem, so they come together um, virtually. If you're thinking about education and you're thinking about technology, what careers are there that you can go into? And, and what do you think about you know, AI as a, as a career? I think it's great because it has application in every sphere right now. So in education, we use AI and machine learning. You, are, you can use it uh, in uh, designing solutions. Like, for example, uh, we are developing all kinds of career pathing tools. We have developed a career pathing tool that is being implemented in many government agencies. We have integrated AI in that, where it's doing a lot of, there's a virtual coach, it's a chatbot, basically, okay. a bot. That is, so if you, Cindy said, hey, what am I going to be when I grow up? And it already knows your background, and it will give you the options. So we are also doing, it can also look at your current skills and look at the future skills for the future jobs, and then how to reskill yourself. All of those. So that's all. It's been integrated in every walk of life. You know, you use Amazon every day. You use Google. They are already mapping all those ads to whatever you look last. That is all AI. I must be of an older generation, an older, older generation, where I think that a combination is good. But I can't stand bots. If I haven't talked to one more bot, I, I'll scream and swear and throw it up. I think that's fair what you just said. We are in a multi-generational environment, so different generations are uh, interacting with technology differently. And the digital natives, that's, they don't want to talk, talk to a person, whereas the baby boomers, they, they are very social. And I can tell you that in my own business, my clients who are on the other side of the spectrum, they want, uh, they want face-to-face conversations, reviews of projects and all of that, whereas uh, the digital natives who are my customers, they want an online engagement only, and they don't want to see us. So... It just depends on who you are and how comfortable you are with the different tools and what your preferences are. It's fascinating. There is so much that we can talk about. So to close this discussion out, uh, you've talked about mentoring. You've, You've mentored most of your life, and your son was a mentor. So can you wrap it up by talking a little bit about mentoring and how that can help people in their career? I have always uh, 
believed in mentoring because when I first came to the United States, I had I didn't have any mentor. I did not know the culture. I couldn't understand accents. I didn't know when I was starting my uh career in the United States uh, and starting a business particularly, didn't know how to access the market, the capital, all of that stuff. So it was a lot much harder, longer journey for me. But once I got it all figured out, I felt that it is important to share with others so they don't have to struggle as much as I had to. So since then, I we have mentored several companies, taken them to zero to 40 million, zero to 24 million uh, within the first 18 to 24 months. And uh, it's been a very exciting journey doing that. So when I was the president of Thai, uh, which is an entrepreneurial organization, um, I started the the Young Entrepreneurs Program in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, that is designed for high schoolers. So they have a boot camp on entrepreneurship. And uh, my own son actually participated when he was in a, a, a junior in high school. And he, the idea is to come out with a business plan, and a, and he came out with a little startup from that, and a clean energy startup, that he took that business plan and idea to his college at University of Michigan and got a lot of funding and won several awards for it. So my feeling is that there is, it is never too early to start mentoring, and especially these days, the young kids have so much capacity to absorb and learn. They're exposed to so much more information than we were when we were growing up that they are they are just like sponges taking it all in and then turning in them into cool ideas. But, you know, cool ideas are great, but how do you operationalize those ideas? And that's the training and mentoring. And I urge everybody to look at everybody around you and, and pick a pick a protege, and whether it's a high school student, a young student, uh, an employee, a friend, there is everybody can learn from each other. So that's that's very very moving and very apropos. So to wrap this up, how would you tell people what innovation is for the government contracting world, and what government uh, what innovation you're seeing in general for the STEM world for people who are interested in STEM. Where should they focus? So I think this is this is a really good question. What is innovation? The way I define innovation is anytime you can improve a process or design a new process or a new product that can improve efficiency. For example, if you were hand uh, writing your accounts and now you use Excel spreadsheet, that's innovation. So it, because I think a lot of people get confused and they get befuddled with the word innovation. It has to be some technology thing. It doesn't need to be that. So it's really every, I urge every single person to think about creatively solving a problem. What problem do you have? How can you solve it creatively? And how can you uh, improve the process or the business process, improve efficiency, reduce costs? That to me uh, is the uh, is I, how I define innovation. So um, we are seeing a lot of uh, emphasis, as I said, in uh, on blockchain. People are looking at blockchain. Uh, people are, and also one of the things that they are looking at is uh, how to address the security issue. The security issue is really critical. And then uh, there's a lot of uh, work uh, being done in uh, AI, machine learning, data science. Uh, data science is, again, not new, new terminology, but the way we use data has changed. 
We used to get a lot of data, but we never analyzed it. We never visualized it. And we never base, ma- ba- really totally based our decisions on data. Today, that is a real, uh, it's not just a trendy thing to do. It is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's the whole direction that uh, it's going in and uh Analytics is important. Cyber is important. You're, AI. you're talking about this innovation or change in in technology by in, by the, how the industry is using it, or in general. I, you know, the government and industry. Government is very hungry right now. They are have been inviting. Uh, there's a place called challenge.gov. If you want to go look at it, they're po- posting problems over there that we are responding to. They're inviting industry to respond to. DOD is inviting Silicon Valley type of companies to come and respond to their problems and solve them. So there's a real appetite in both industry and government to solve the hairy problems through innovation. And I thank you so much for for this very interesting conversation. I mean, we could go on forever, but we can't. So thank you, Dolly Obrai for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Cindy. This has been a wonderful show. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.